morning, folks. Welcome to the Fallon Forum. We're broadcasting live from Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. And with me, uh, looking at his cell phone, as always, is Dr. <laughs> Charles Goldman. <laughs> you don't do that when you're operating on people, do you? Uh, no. Okay, but you, but you paused it before you said no. You didn't say no. You said uh, no. Well, we're not really <laughs> supposed to bring the cell phones in the room. Oh, okay. Because in theory, they couldn't interfere with the instrumentation, but everybody does, of course. All right, all right. <laughs> Just don't do that on your plane. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so, hey, later in the program, we're going to talk about how the, uh, the DNC does a complete turnaround on its decision on whether to accept fossil fuel money. Interesting. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on in Louisiana today and also about Brett uh, Kavanaugh's past is coming back to bite him, and bite him is a pun. We'll explain later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but first, uh, I want to talk about the First Nation Farmer Climate Unity March. This um, was a journey of almost 100 miles. It started from Des Moines on the Des Moines River, ended in Fort Dodge on the Des Moines River. Yeah, it was a, a journey of um, yeah about 94 miles. About 30, 35 people participated. And um, I, you know, Charles, you were able to join us for a day, and uh, you know, so maybe maybe your eyes are fresher and more and more, you know, objective than mine. But I thought it was a great success. I thought it was really a powerful way to connect um, environmentalists and indigenous people with, in some cases, conservative farmers and landowners, all united by their opposition to the pipeline. And most pointedly, the use of eminent domain to build the pipeline. And this is in advance of the of the lawsuit by the landowners and the Iowa Sierra Club being heard this coming Wednesday, September 12th, at the Iowa Supreme Court. I, I thought we did a pretty good job at um, raising awareness about something that hasn't gotten a lot of play in the mainstream media. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. And um, I think, uh, you know, as you were often doing on the march, you were on your... Uh, cell phone. Yeah, yeah, I'm making fun of you being on your cell phone. But I, there I am walking along with my phone right. in my ear. But you know, there, there was also some national um, public publicity or interest in, in what what was. Yeah, being done. and some of that wasn't particularly favorable. We made it into the Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay noted for its its rampant progressivism. Right. The Tampa Bay newspaper, which said, I think the headline was. Um, Protesters hope to stop pipeline from dot 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 walking or by walking. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the whole article was slanted against us. We weren't protesters. We we were. Well, I think advocates. the idea too is is that um, haranguing and lecturing people about climate change and and the you know associated issues, which we'll do later in the program. Correct <laughs> uh, is is not particularly effective, and I think that the the point of the march is to try to find common ground. Right. Without having to go through the whole discussion once again about the um, the long term results of climate change, you know, and and the fact that um, private property was taken in a way that is almost certainly by the rules of eminent domain in this state illegal. And I think the point that it's pretty obvious right now is um, how is a pipeline that's carrying not just gasoline or natural gas, but something far more toxic. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the public benefit of Iowa when almost all of that product is going to be refined into gas to be exported. Um, You know, by that measure, anything that creates money or economic activity is of a public good. We're dealing with incredible corporate hubris within the fossil fuel industry, not just here in Iowa, but around the country. I mean, here, 
need to basically come in and buy off a handful of politicians in order to get the state agency, the, the Iowa Utilities Board, to rule against farmers and landowners in a way that is, you know, completely incompatible with history was, I think, uh, you know, a, a clear indication of a sense of privilege among the among energy transfer partners, folks. And, and, and you know, if you see what's happening in, um, in uh, New Orleans or in Louisiana as we speak, the, um, you know, the, the, the court ruled that ETP, energy transfer partners, did not have the right to go through the, uh, the, this, this unique uh, wetland. I, I can never pronounce the name. It begins with an A, basin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and, and they did anyhow. They were ordered not to, and they did. And law enforcement just said, well, we can't do anything about it. And so right. they started arresting people who were protesting this violation of a court order. Well, now there's enough, you know, enough guts behind the court order that the uh, company has backed off. So today they announced that they're not going to continue building this pipeline through the, uh, through the basin. Well, I think, and this is the reason it's on my cell phone, it'd be worth looking at a, a, an event which I'm sure most Americans aren't aware of because it doesn't involve Donald Trump's tweeting. Um, and that is that in, in Canada on Thursday, the uh, Federal Court of Appeals struck down any further expansion of the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline, which was supposed to triple its output. And that, that was also going through Massachusetts and other parts of New England. Well, but they, nevertheless, this is the Canadian, the Canadian at least up to this point, they, right. their Supreme Court does not have right. any kind of standing in the United States. Yeah. But the, the point there is, is that a lot of that was brought to bear by relatively modest, yeah. in some ways, yeah. uh, activity by the, na- the First Nation people up there. You know, you know. For instance, they had repetitive protests at the terminus of this pipeline. You know, and two hundred people were arrested over a number of months. Right. But that and other things were enough to make it. And this is, of course, a pipeline that's economically unfeasible to the point that the government took it over, right. and now the government's been told. You cannot expand this pipeline. Yeah. Now, the unique thing about Iowa is the oil is already flowing. It's been flowing for just over a year. Well, the oil is already flowing in this pipeline too. It's oh, that's the okay. question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. But you know, we're we're, we're starting to see uh, defeats to the oil oligarchy, uh, and uh, we may even see defeats to the point where oil that's already running is stopped. And that's what could happen here in Iowa. Yeah, it's a very strong case. It's based, well, on a, based on a state law passed in two thousand six. Or if it doesn't stop. But it, but the route has to be redone, or the uh, people whose land was taken, uh, we would we would argue illegally. Right. Um, it raises the cost of the pipeline, right? And you know, at some point, these pipelines are not economically feasible, depending on the price of oil at the time. Well, and the, other, the other thing, of course, is they've socialized all the costs. Oh yeah, the they're going to say the subsidies for all yeah, the spills yeah. will be paid for by islands. If they have to be cleaned up, well, and that's and a good question. What's happening with the uh, the spill up in Northwest Iowa from the uh, Burlington Northern well, correct, train? But we, don't need, but we know that the bond that's required oh, of a, this a company pittance, is a pittance, a pittance of what would happen if there was a major spill. Right. Yeah. Right. So I mean, I, I felt the march was really effective at, at bringing people together. I mean, the the indigenous leaders from around the country and around the state that that march were inspiring, um, provocative too. Uh, and extremely engaged in the day-to-day work of the march. I mean, everybody worked their tails off. And uh, it was a great um, sense of unity among people who aren't often doing this kind of hard work together for an entire week. Well, it's it was, also interesting to contrast the, um, the, you know, to some degree mythology of the First Nations or the indigenous peoples and their belief in, in being stewards of the land against the corporate rapaciousness of the American culture 
uh, as brought here by the Europeans, and to some degree um, buttressed by you know things like Manifest Destiny and, and other quasi-religious beliefs <laughs> that we have the right to do this to right, the Earth. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So I mean, the, the, their their perspective on on how we live on this 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 land, um, how we treat our resources, our water, it, it's beca- it's gaining more and more traction, and we saw that in a big way, even between even among. You know, interactions between our native marchers and uh, the, some of the landowners, some of the very conservative landowners who supported Donald Trump, the interactions were powerful. We had one, one farm couple that um, came and spent four hours with us one night. Um, it, it, was, it, was, uh, it was very moving. And there will be continuing efforts to analyze, um, tell stories, share stories, um, post on Facebook about the experience, and I encourage people to keep in touch with us that way, too. Well, I think the other thing that... Um I, I think was important that the uh, indigenous peoples brought up is this whole notion of uh, decolonization mm. and that, you know, we have uh, common ground in terms of land being stolen. And, you know, the, if yeah. you want to go to a hashtag, yeah. go to hashtag, hashtag decolonization mm-hmm. and take a look at, at what these discussions yeah. were about. Anyway, good event. You can keep track of it on the Bold Iowa website, Facebook page, Indigenous Iowa. Also, digital smoke signals, seeding sovereignty, climate marshes, a whole bunch of uh, uh, venues out there on Facebook and elsewhere that are continuing to post about the experience. All right, so folks, um, we're going to come back uh, in a minute, and uh, and where are we going to go from here, Charles? What's next on the agenda? I guess we can talk about the DNC. The feckless DNC voting to accept fossil fuel money after deciding not to accept fossil fuel money. A unanimous vote back in June was nearly a unanimous unanimous vote to go the other direction this time. We'll talk about that when we come back, and also about the meaning of your shirt that says, Hotter Than I Should Be. (laughs) (laughs) Back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Farm. Gateway Market and Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan-baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. Times are tough. And most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 246-8149. That's 246-8149. Community CPA and Associates, with locations in Des Moines and Coralville, is the perfect place to go for all of your tax and accounting needs. Community CPA offers a wide array of services, from tax planning to business IT solutions. Call Community CPA today at 515-288-3188 or visit www.communitycpa.com for more information. Hi folks, it's Ed Fallon reminding you that you can eat Iowa-grown food all winter long at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Over 90% of the food served at Hawk comes from Iowa farms and their dishes are amazing. I once brought a guy there from New York and he was blown away by the experience. He said it was like any fine dining you'd enjoy in Greenwich Village, but at one-fourth the price. So don't go all the way to to New York City when you can enjoy gourmet dining prepared with Iowa-grown food at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. 
Ritual Cafe is located at 13th and Locust in beautiful downtown Des Moines. It's a great place for coffee, tea, smoothies, and a full vegetarian menu. Ritual Cafe also features music on the weekends. For more information, call Ritual Cafe at 515-288-4872. That's 515-288-4872. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like our cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie and delicious olive bar and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let our catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Our expert floral designers can even customize perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market. Good food, great entertaining. Folks, welcome back to the Fallon Farm. Charles Goldman and I here talking about um, about lots of things of, of great importance, uh, as we always do, <laughs> because how can we not? Um, but uh, you know, later in the program, we'll be uh, we'll be talking about um, Brett uh, Brett Kavanaugh's um, past relevant to Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky coming back to bite him. But first, the um, the uh, feckless political entity of the week award. Drum roll <laughs> goes to the Democratic National Committee for reversing a bold vote taken earlier this year. I mean, just a couple months ago, June, the um, the DNC voted overwhelmingly to uh, I mean, overwhelmingly unanimously to not accept money from fossil fuel companies. Or PACs. Right. And, or, or, and interestingly, yeah. uh, this resolution uh, actually was pushed by, of all people, Christine Pelosi. Yeah, yeah. Who is uh, Nancy Pelosi's daughter. Right. Um, and it, it was part of a package of things that uh, she was trying to get the DNC to sign on to again, including what they had signed on to previously when Obama was the um, president, which was a, a complete ban on corporate PAC Donations, right, not just right. oil and gas interests, right? And also um, the um, that that registered foreign corporate lobbyists could not be uh, DNC chair appointed or at large members. So it was part of a whole package of trying to to distinguish the Democratic Party as not being a tool of the corporate and money interests yeah. in this country. So, so I mean, the 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 lynch the linchpin here was labor was really really upset. When the vote went through, and again, not all of labor. Labor is divided on climate change. But there's an element of, of, of labor that will take any job at all, whether it's, you know, coal, oil, or natural gas. And um, and so they, they somehow, I mean, they convinced Tom Perez, which probably wasn't that hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the, the, head the, the head of the DNC, to um, <clears throat> schedule another vote and to um, basically undo what was done in June. And they did it again. It was it was amazing to me that that this passed unanimously in June, and and on August fourteenth the reversal passed with only two dissenting votes. Well, and and the irony here <clears throat> is is it's not worth that much money to the DNC, right? Because uh, it's less than five or six million dollars that they had gotten in the past cycle, and way less than Republicans well, get. Well, Republicans from get up, you know in certain industries like the coal industry they get ninety seven percent of the. Um, 
donations, I mean, it's pretty negligible. Yeah. And to have taken a, um, a uh, you know, stance for this wouldn't have cost them that much money. Well, and to take the right stance in June was 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 uh, not just the right thing to do morally, but it was a great move politically because that's the problem the Democratic Party has. Too many people feel it stands for nothing. And, you know, every once in a while it seems to stand for something. Right. And in this case, what happened in June was big. That was a big decision. Even though, again, like you said, it wasn't a lot of money given how much money they get from other sources, the Democrats get from other sources, given how much money fossil fuel industry interests give to the Republicans, it wasn't that big a deal financially. But it was a big statement. And here mm-hmm. they, then they took this big statement and they turned it on its head just two months later. Well, I mean, I mean this is, this what, is, what message did that send to voters? Well, no, I mean, this is the typical Democratic Party malpractice. You know, I mean, <laughs> I've asked this question a number of times, both here on the radio and you know, to you and others outside of this. The Russians were able to interfere in our election for a pittance. I mean, they use social media better than we've used social media. Yeah. Well, and it didn't cost they're them also, that much They're money. also better chess players. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, and it, it, it's actually kind of interesting. And this is, this is it, I think the Kavanaugh um, nomination points this out. There's a very coherent path that and playbook that the Rush, the Republicans, excuse me. You almost said the Russians. Almost the Russians. <laughs> a little Friday really into that because <laughs> I, I, I think that most Republicans have nothing to do with the Russians, except for uh, Dana Rohrabacher and obviously our president. But um, <laughs> the um, they have a coherent plan. The Democrats don't have a coherent plan because the Democrats have so many constituencies to have to deal with. Now, well, what you said before is true. The unions. In the same way that many liberals and progressives in this country do, have supported things against the interests of the present oil and gas worker cadre. Um, you know, for instance, the AFL-CIO supports the Paris Agreement. Right. The SIEU, um, the SEIU supports environmental justice on the basis. The service employers uh, worker union. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, it's, it's state employees. Uh, service well, at, employees. Yeah. 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 They support environmental justice on the basis that the people who are disproportionately hurt by climate change are, guess who? Yeah. People right. who have less money. Yeah. And um, there's a number of unions involved in this rally, you know, that's coming up, the rise for climate jobs and, and justice. That just happened. It just, yeah. Yeah. okay. Right, right. So, um, you know, <clears throat> that, it, it, it's very similar to, I think, again, what you see on the Supreme Court. You know, everyone says, oh, look how doctrinaire you know, the, the four liberal justices are. But they're doctrinaire for what they believe to be the common good, while the monolithic rightist element of the Supreme Court, as we'll talk about with Kavanaugh, is nothing for the most part except corporatists. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so... Um, I, you know, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I think the Democratic Party is primarily a corporate party. They're yeah. part of the two-party oligarchy. And they, you know, they, I, I think there are elements within the Democratic Party, very powerful elements, that would rather see Republicans win than progressives win. And we, we've seen that in Iowa. Some of the key funders of the Iowa Democratic Party have supported Republican Governor Branstad openly. They've support, they supported the, um, the Farm Bureau candidate for Secretary of Ag here in Iowa over a progressive organic dairy farmer who did quite well and might have won. They, they've also came out against... Um, Against a, uh, a, a a more traditional farmer, but also a progressive, the Demo- the Democratic Party is not a progressive party. They're 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 not as corporate 
as the Republicans. They don't have the same allegiance, for example, to big oil. But they're tied in enough with it, well, so they're, that, tied they're not going to do the right thing. They're tied the in with, with Wall Street interests. <clears throat> um, those out in the entertainment industry on the West Coast is you know, a huge source of their funding. Um, and also the legal profession's interests. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, and, and that, unfortunately... See, it's really interesting because this whole issue of originalism is coming up again you know, because of the Supreme Court um, nomination. And how wonderful the Constitution is. It's almost like a biblical thing with them. So it should be left inviolate. Well, let's talk about the Constitution. The Constitution left blacks as three-fifths of a citizen. Right. It left slavery in place right. to kill upwards of four to 500,000 Americans less than 100 years later facility, in the Civil War. Facility the attempt at genocide right. of the It Indian doesn't people. work anymore. Yeah. The electoral yeah. system it envisioned was not an electoral system for the masses. No. It was to keep the masses down when it raided against the landed interests that were predominantly white males at the time. So it's not Dominantly or exclusively? Yeah, exclusively. <laughs> well... I mean, there, there were some non-whites who were, had affluence in the northern states. But the, the point is, it's not about true democracy, and it has to change. Yeah. You know, and so, that's, that's the problem here, which is it set up a two-party – set up a system that made the two-party system – So, so you know. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, so back, back to this – before we run out of time, but back to this vote by the DNC. I mean, this is – this is huge in terms of the message it sends. And here's the, some of the responses we're getting from Naomi Klein tweets, Honestly, these people, meaning the DNC, are bound and determined to deflate and demobilize their base and then blame the Russians when they lose. You know, I, I, again, I think whether they're bound and determined to do it intentionally, I don't know, but they're doing it. And how could they not see that they're doing it? How could, how could you not take a unanimous vote and turn it around what thirty was it thirty to two? They voted uh, in favor of, of you know, negating the the uh, decision to ban the acceptance of fossil fuel money. You know, here's you know, and people, progressives left and right, people for Bernie. You know, there's no reason the DNC should go back on their promise and accept corporate PAC money. That's pretty. That's pretty mild. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know, it's it's. It's 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 under, you know. I I have some optimism that the midterm elections might might result in a more um, responsive U.S. Congress and more responsive state legislatures. But if this continues, that's not going to happen because you're going to see people just deciding. Well, if they if they're all, if they're all the same when it comes to fossil fuel money, I'm just going to stay home. I would guess that as the Democrats usually are, they're in the thrall of their pollsters. And their pollsters are telling them that environment is just not that big an issue compared to the economy. And what is shaping up, I think, is the the, the big national issue for Democrats, which is the, the, the rife corruption of this administration, including the president violating the emoluments clause. Yeah. So but they're being the, told the, it doesn't the, matter. These are the same pollsters who said Hillary Clinton was a shoe-in, who said that John Kerry was going to easily beat Bush. Who in Iowa claimed that Bruce Braley was unbeatable mm-hmm. in running when he when he, uh, when he drew Joni Ernst as an opponent? Right. You know, these are the same pollsters who are repeatedly wrong over and over and over again. And I, you know, at what point do people wake up and say, "Hey, we're done trusting you"? <laughs> oh, I know. And they, they 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 bring out the same losers over and over again. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to see Donna Brazile again. <laughs> <laughs> she's a nice lady, but she's kind of a loser <laughs> in, in the sense of you know, the results of her advice. So before we take a break here, um, again, we've been talking about the DNC's decision to accept fossil fuel donations. After two months ago, we had unanimously voted to reject them. Uh, obviously, that's a, a big climate change concern, and obviously, Charles' shirt all, is also a big climate change concern. <laughs> it says, hotter than I should be. Right. And when you see Charles, you're thinking, no, he can't be referring to himself. So what is it all about? Well, it, it actually, <laughs> the O is, is, is the Earth. Oh, so I, I see that Earth, now, yes. The Earth is hotter than I should be. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's absolutely true. That's a great shirt. <laughs> all right, I'm done teasing you until the next segment. We'll be back in a couple of minutes, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. That's Brother Truckers Tune downtown, uh, kicking off our second half of our program here. We're, we're broadcasting live from the studios of La Reina, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines, Iowa. With me in the studio is Dr. Charles Goldman, hotter than he should be, <laughs> and, not, and not by virtue of any of any genetics, but by virtue of uh, a changing climate. Um, <laughs> right. And, or uh, outrage. Or outrage. <laughs> outrage, okay. So speaking of outrage, um, Brett Kavanaugh, the uh, nominee for U.S. Supreme Court, getting, uh, getting a fairly thorough vetting. Um, well, I, I would disagree with that. I mean, he's getting, he's getting a vetting of his long-time in the political partisan realm, but we're left with nothing to understand what his what he has talked about as his judicial philosophy. Um, it, the whole process is a sham, and it's not just this this confirmation. Uh, there are things that are unique to this confirmation in terms of the way the Republicans are trying to rush this through. Um, you know, they keep talking about how many hundreds of thousands of documents about his time at the White House with Bush, uh, the Bush administration, W's administration, are out there. But it still represents less than 10 percent of those documents. And the National Archives will not have a huge proportion of those documents right until the end of October. The vote, of course, on his confirmation will come October 1st. Yeah. And, folks, if you'd like to join the conversation, uh, let me give you the number there. It's 515 528 uh, 8122. That's 515 528 8122. And um, yeah, we've got, uh, I, I guess, the, the, uh, the White House <clears throat> and Republicans argue that we're giving you a huge volume of information about the nominee. And it is a lot of, a lot of information. Right. But it's, um, how does it stack up against, uh, you know, previous uh, nominees? Well, the most recent uh, nominee who was had spent much of her time in the political realm rather than in the judiciary was Elena Kagan. And they supplied, the administration supplied 99%, Clinton administration, but 99% of all documents. Um, they held back almost nothing under the executive privilege rules. And, of course, we also know that the people who are doing the vetting of the documents to be proffered to the committee um, are re Republican functionaries 
including the lawyer who is a lawyer to several members of the Trump administration. Right. Um, <clears throat> so it's not an impartial vetting. Uh, it, so, in, so in some sense, it doesn't make <clears throat> a difference. I think it's already out there, number one, that um, he's lied on several occasions about events in terms of the stealing of Democratic memos and, you know, the, or the Bush administration. Say more about that. Yeah. Um, I think it was in the year 2000, as the um, W administration was ramping up, there were a number of judicial appointments uh, that came up before the Senate, and a, uh, a staff member of the Judicial Committee by the name, last name of Miranda, um, I believe his last name was Miranda, uh, basically uh, was able to uh, access that, uh, without really even hacking, the Democratic staff's uh, emails, and then presented them to uh, the Republicans so they could see what the strategies were in terms of how they were going to attack some of the uh, judicial nominees. And Kavanaugh, who at that point was um, what Rob Porter was to President Trump, um, clearly from the email chain knew that these were stolen documents. And he actually had previous confirmations that said he didn't know anything about it. That's Watergate-like... Well, you, you know, know, yeah, but but, but you, you can get away with Watergate type crimes these days, and well, because it doesn't minor matter anymore. what's going on. Because what? It's minor compared to what's going on. Well, yeah, in this administration. but yeah, Watergate crimes are basically fake news, anyhow. It, right. So I mean, he lied about that, and um, he um, lied about his involvement in in, in another judicial appointment, um, and he clearly was in the chain with John Yoo in terms of the uh, ed, ed, ex, you know, enhanced torture techniques. And yet he seems to have no opinion on any of these. Everything was, I can't talk about that, it's too hypothetical. Um, so I think it's more important that we understand how dysfunctional the Supreme Court has become. Not because it's going to turn conservative, just because it doesn't work anymore. If, well, if you basically then, can predict by political affiliation how judges are going to rule, yeah. what's the point? Well, then it's consistent with Congress. Well, it's, well except that <laughs> Congress actually does nothing. The Supreme Court does things, and they're usually fairly well, predictable. Yeah, I mean, there is a historical context for what's going on. And um, it's interesting because Ted Cruz brought up the issue of what's called the non-delegation doctrine. And the non-delegation doctrine is a big part of the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation, who are supplying these clones like, you know, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, um, is a big part of their attempt to invoke the originalistic view of law, which is that if it's not in the Constitution, or you can't prove that it was part of the milieu and it was a natural thing that was going on at the time the Constitution was written, then there's no constitutional basis for ruling for expanded rights. So, for instance, um, what was the result of the Lochner Doctrine at the turn of the century, the turn of the last century? Well, for almost 30 years until the New Deal courts, in which finally, in 1937, the doctrine of uh, non-delegation was overthrown, um, you had things like Supreme Court rulings which allowed um, various eugenics laws to stay on the books. Um, Right. They ruled against childhood labor prohibitions. They ruled against 
a myriad because of... Because how are kids going to develop a work ethic if they're if they required don't work to... from the time that they're, right, they're five or six? <laughs> right. You know, basically, the, the view of the non-delegation doctrine is that you as a worker have the right to negotiate your working conditions. Right. And the government has no right to set up anything which constrains the corporations in their negotiations. And that puts all, that gives all the marbles to the corporation. Right, and, and, and the this is who he is. Yeah. You know, your buddy Ralph <clears throat> Nader wrote a piece... <laughs> Was, Our buddy Ralph Nader. Anytime you get in your car and you think, oh, I'm safer than I used to be. No, the, there's no question. I'm talking about the Ralph Nader third-party part. Yeah, I'm, which, I'm more enamored by the Ralph Nader of consumer protection. I think, I think we all are. But <laughs> he, he wrote a piece called, you know, Brett Kavanaugh is a corporation uh, masquerading as a judge. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> he, he probably doesn't remember. He also wrote the same thing about President Bush, W., in which he said that W was a president was a corporation masquerading as a president. Well, if you can't recycle good <laughs> axioms, then what good are you, right? Right, but the, but the point here is that if you look, it, there, there's 300 decisions out there, and if you go down these decisions, 300 decisions that Kavanaugh, uh, that has, Kavanaugh made. has written on, right. and if you go through these decisions, there's a very clear philosophy here, and the clear philosophy is that if it's not enumerated in the Constitution or the enabling law for the F, let's say for, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency, then Congress has to essentially reconvene to decide whether that the regulatory agency has the right to, um, to regulate something. Right. So, for instance, you know, in one case, uh, Kavanaugh said that the EPA didn't have the right to, um, to regulate CO2 because it's not delineated in their empowering documents. Um, he said they didn't have the right to regulate you know, hydrofluorocarbons, which destroy the ozone layer and allow people to get melanoma and other cancers. Um, he is, this is, the original, this is what originalism means. Originalism means that you are going to have repetitive votes against workers' rights, repetitive votes against regulation protecting the environment and the water and other things, and repetitive votes in which the public interest is not going to be served. It's all going to be about corporation interest. They want a strict liability rule so that if a corporation harms people, like, you know, going back to Ralph Nader, right. like the Corvair, right? Right, right. They put, a, they put a screw on the chassis knowing full well it would puncture the fuel tank. They would argue that unless they intended to harm people, that that was liability. That they were liable. That is un. Yeah, that, that sounds like intent to me. So um, I want to take a. Uh, I, I, I won't, you've got some thoughts on the on the interesting three way between Kavanaugh, Bill Clinton, and Monica Lewinsky. Um, <laughs> okay. Sure. I, I'm, uh, I, no, I think it's worthwhile because Ken Starr actually just came out with a book about the Clintons and his investigation. So I think it'd be, it'd be great to talk about that because Ken Starr obviously was the special prosecutor at that time when they did the Clinton investigation. All right, so hey, quick shout out to some of our sponsors. Uh, Bold Iowa, uh, building rural and urban coalitions to fight climate change, protect water quality, and to push back against the abuse of eminent domain. That's boldiowa.com.com. Also, support for this program provided by Catering by Sid. Uh, owner Sid Cohn, Chef Sid Cohn, uses lots of fresh and local ingredients and all of her catering arrangements are custom made. That's catering by Sid, C-Y-D. Also, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been uh, treating small and large animals for over 30 years. Give Kim Holding a call 
Uh, you can find out more about Story County Veterinary Clinic on her Facebook page. And finally, again, thanks to Gateway Market, our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. Um, open for breakfast, lunch, and supper seven days a week. A grocery store, of course, as well, and also a catering service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Okay, so uh, back to our conversation mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah, Monica Lewinsky is still in the news. She's uh, she just uh, stormed out of a um, a uh, a um, talk she was giving in Jerusalem because she got a question about Bill Clinton that she didn't want to she didn't want to field. Hard to blame her, uh, but um, she's also back in the news because of the Kavanaugh. Right. I mean, um, nomination. One of the things that's worrying a number of people is <clears throat> the fact that, that that Judge Kavanaugh has been explicit in writings. That he had, he believes that the president um, should be allowed fairly unfettered field of action, and um, should not be di- distracted <clears throat> by having to deal with things like civil suits or investigations, uh, criminal investigations during the presidency. Now, the irony of this is, is a couple of things. Number one, I don't think our president could be any more distracted. <laughs> He's, he has golfed on 25% of his days in office. Um, and he obviously spends a lot of time watching Fox News. But because he, he, needs that, he needs that golf time in order to be focused on the, on the task of the presidency. With, I agree. I don't have any problem with reduction of stress. I mean, that's <laughs> sort of what Bill Clinton was doing with Michael Lewinsky. Um, <laughs> but not 25% of his time. Not 25% of the time. <laughs> right. So the notion that the president would be so distracted he couldn't, um, he couldn't carry out his, his job effectively is a real ex post facto thing for both Judge Kavanaugh, who was one of the staffers uh, on Ken Starr's investigation of the president. Um, Because at the time, it didn't seem to bother them that they were distracting the president. And you could actually make the argument that the president was distracted, in fact, from dealing with Osama bin Laden and missed an opportunity to kill Osama bin Laden in the Sudan. Uh, perhaps because <clears throat> that's a bit of a stretch to blame Republicans no, not, for no, that. No, no, I'm not blaming Republicans. What I'm saying is this is this is what I have a problem with. You know that uh, Judge Kavanaugh has suddenly gotten this religion. Now, Judge Kavanaugh's role uh, on the staff, among other things, was he formulated a series of ten sexually explicit questions that he wanted Ken Starr to ask <laughs> the president. Um, which you can read in the paper, but you know it, it, it basically it. Well, not, yeah, not on the they right were pretty, way. They were pretty racy, if I remember. They were pretty racy, right? Yeah. Um, and were they ever asked? I do not believe they were asked. But the point. Well, that was an opportunity yeah. lost. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the, the the point is, is that you know I can understand if you think maybe you made a mistake in the past, but it's interesting because if you listen to Ken Starr, I listened to him today on NPR because he's just come out with a book. Uh, Everybody's writing a book. Right. But now, first of all, what was interesting was how how NPR kind of let Ken Starr off the hook. Because the first thing they asked him was, uh, you know, uh, just sort of uh, vaguely what he was up to. And he said, well, you know, I have a lot of time on my hands now because I I resigned. uh, You know, I I, I left my my position as the um, president of of Baylor University. It's a little disingenuous. He actually was forced to resign because of the rapes and other things that were um, covered up in terms of the football team. And he was uh, culpable in that cover-up? No, he, but he was culpable as having responsibility as the president of the university. They should have done something. should have about, done something. Yeah, yeah. That's right, correct. Right. Okay. So, um, but nevertheless, Starr <clears throat> pointed out that he, he felt that the Clintons were corrupt, 
Um, and as one uh, justification for that statement, he pointed out that his investigation led to things that in Arkansas, ultimately 17 people went to jail for the who were business associates of the Clintons. Yeah. Now, ironically, uh, the Mueller investigation is also doing the same thing, but that didn't seem to occur to Ken Starr <laughs> that that might give some legitimacy to the Mueller investigation. And yeah. Starr actually said specifically that he didn't believe that the president was guilty of obstruction. But all this really doesn't matter. I mean, Chuck Grassley, Senator Grassley, has shepherded Kavanaugh through the well, nomination actually, yes, process. Well, actually, that's true. He, he, well, <clears throat> John Kyle, who just was appointed to take um, John McCain's seat, at least for the till the right. end of the year, um, from Arizona, is actually the Sherpa for, uh, for Judge Kavanaugh. But um, you're absolutely correct that Grassley is certainly in on it. He knows yes. that they're hiding the emails. He right. dumped a bunch of stuff on the Democrats that morning. But they're going to get away with it. It, do- it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, I, I think I think it's it good that we're matter. talking about it. It's good that people are raising hell about it. Right. But it doesn't matter. They're, they're going to get this nomination accomplished. They're going to get this appointment accomplished before the general election. Right. Before the midterm election. Yeah. And, and you know, of course, a lot of the anger on the left is because of the handling of Merrick Garland. And, yeah, because um, that, that I mean, the, the hypocrisy is so, so bold, so 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 blatant. I mean, to to say that they've got to get this done before the election, when just two appointees ago they said they have to wait till after the people have spoken. It it just it, it's so so brazenly hypocritical. It's hard to even know how to respond to it. It's well, a, I, like a, like a like an elementary school kid can see the hypocrisy there. Right, but it's just like the procedure itself. It doesn't matter. I think what's important for the American people to, to have some grasp of is what to expect from a court that's going to be 5-4 dominated by people like Judge Gorsuch and Judge Kavanaugh and Judge Alito. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and, and to understand that originalism yeah. is a faux doctrine. Yeah. Originalism is just a justification for doing what they want to Explain do. Explain originalism to well, people. originalism, again, is that, that unless it's, it's specifically enumerated in the Constitution, okay. you can't make up laws. Now, what was one of the laws that was supposedly made up according to the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation? <laughs> um, well, Roe v. Wade. Uh, and, in fact, even before Roe v. Wade was Griswold, which was the case in which states at that time were banning access to contraception, even to married couples. <laughs> Okay. Well, the only reason to get and, married, Charles, is to have kids. So well, why bother with contraception? Well, that Come on. Is, that's the point. And Griswold <laughs> basically – Griswold is the one that invokes a right to privacy. Right. But Roe v. Wade, of course, is decided on that right. Now, they would argue – the originalists would say there is no way that there's any natural, from our history, right yeah. to privacy, which is really interesting because actually people were aborting children – in colonial times, yeah, it's not. It, it, it's it's a misreading of history. So you know, so elections have consequences well beyond that particular election, well beyond the impact on a state legislature, a governor's race, right. a U.S. Congress, or even U.S. president. And some would argue that the, the the biggest impact that an election has is on the composition of the federal court, not just the Supreme Court, right. but the uh, the rest of the federal Same, court system as well. I think that's a great point. Same thing, because there were 120 unfilled vacancies left after the Obama administration because of the effectiveness of the Republicans' Uh, filibustering Stonewall, and Stonewall, stonewalling yeah. the president. And now those are being filled with uh, surprising filled rapidity. On, right, with yeah. amazing rapidity from the same playlist, the same group, the same Federalist Society people who've all been indoctrinated into this this 
this faux theory of originalism. And to bring this full circle to our earlier conversation about climate change and pipelines, despite that, we've seen some rulings by federal judges that have gone in the favor of landowners, farmers, environmentalists, indigenous communities. Yeah. We saw that. We saw that with the North Dakota judges' ruling. We saw that in Louisiana. We and, and again, right, the rule, the, the the court case here in Iowa is a state one, so that's not that's that's a separate issue. But some of these federal judges have been ruling in favor of the folks that, you know, that, that we feel some kinship with. Yeah, and, but I would say that, that more importantly is we need to change the Supreme Court. I don't mean pack it full of other people, because all you're going to do if you pack it, if you say, well, let's go up to 11, you know, if you're the Democratic president who comes in and says we're going to pack it with, because remember, the, the number of Supreme Court justices is not fixed by the Constitution. Right. It's nine by So what do you, what do you, when you say fix it, what do you mean? Um... Well, there, there are a number of interesting ideas out there. So expanding it so that each person became, each person nominated became less important probably won't work. You have to expand it into the 40s or 50s, <laughs> you know, because making 11 is just going to make all, they'll just yeah. be as politicized. Yeah, it would still be half the size of the U.S. Senate. Right. Um, <laughs> there's, there's some interesting proposals out there, uh, two of which I, I, I'm fascinated by. One is to get rid of the lifetime appointments. And to simply pick the judges on the Supreme Court f- for a time-limited term from a rotating pool of the court of courts, federal court of appeal judges, and everyone gets to rotate. Yeah. And therefore, and because you would be picking cases to to hear that you yourself would never hear, right? Because of the rotation, the time rotation, you would then not have this the partisanship when you wouldn't be able to carry it through right. because. And because of the randomness of the rotation, you would never know the makeup of the court. The second idea is to go to 15, and you can have 10 partisan appointments evenly divided between the right and the left, yeah. if you want to find that. And then the 10 judges would have to go, would choose the other five. Yeah. But they would have to pick the other five unanimously. I, I think also another, another reform that should be recommended would be to adopt a system uh, that, such as Iowa has for electing uh, judges at the state level. Uh, and, there, and, and I think other states have something comparable. But in Iowa, you have a, 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 an appointment commission. Mm-hmm. It's composed half the members of that commission are appointed by the governor and confirmed by a two-thirds majority of the state senate. Right. The other half are appointed by the Iowa Bar Association. And and those uh, when it comes to the Iowa Supreme Court, those um, those that that commission is charged with uh, nominating three candidates, and then the governor must select one of those candidates. And there's no there's no there's you know you the governor is stuck with those options, mm-hmm. and then the voters don't get to vote them in or out. The voters merely get to say, "Shall this judge be retained? Yes or no?" And they almost always are, except in the case of the marriage equality ruling. Uh, you know, back in uh, 2010. So I think it's a good system. It's certainly a lot better than having judges campaign, you know, to raise campaign donations like mm-hmm. a like a politician would. Right. And, I, I, you know, it, it seems like it would have uh, some advantages over the current system, which, again, is leading to a very predictable and partisan Supreme Court. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I think, again, this is this is another problem I have with originalism, which is that the Constitution is highly flawed. And I think President Trump has shown how highly flawed the Constitution is, <laughs> that checks and balances don't work unless you have a general agreement underlying those checks and balances. Uh, it doesn't work when you have a prostate, a prostrate. <laughs> a prostrate <laughs> oh, another Freudian slip right, here. A prostrate 
Congress. You just can't get... You know. um, <laughs> and so um, we... The, the Constitution cannot be interpreted right. in the setting of a, a revolution in the 1700s. And right. I agree with you. I think we need yeah. to look at reforming the electoral system as well as the way we appoint yeah. judges. Right. I mean, we, we need a complete overhaul. Some would say that we, we, need, a, we need to look at the two-party system, toss that out, and bring in something that... Well, the two-party system is a consequence of the system of election. Right. Yeah. Of the electoral college to a great degree. Right, yeah. And also because of the way we handle money and, fi- and campaign financing. Yeah, which has gotten worse over time. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, we've uh, quite a conversation here. Thanks for tuning in to today's Fallon Forum. Again, we're broadcasting from uh, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. And no, that's not Nashville, Tennessee. It's not Portland, Oregon. It's Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, we're broadcasting from the studios of Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. Follow us on Facebook, Fallon Forum. On Facebook, also FallonForum.com. Send us an email message, and we'll keep in touch with you with a weekly update. And again, thanks to the folks here at Lorena. Thanks to Maria, our producer, and to Sherry Hardina for her help in putting together the follow-up to this program. Okay, so the NFL kicked off this uh, weekend. Patriots won. Uh, <laughs> Tom Brady and yeah, Tom, Tom Brady and the Patriots one, whatever. But um, yeah, you know, not without controversy. I'm not sure there's any more controversy this year than there has been. But there's always a, a different flavor to it. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a huge NFL fan. I'm not a huge football fan. You know, I, I think Tom Brady is a decent person, uh, despite um, making the mistake once of saying that he thought Donald Trump was a great guy. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think the uh, the the controversies surrounding the NFL deserve attention for bigger reasons. And the controversy du jour, to discuss that with us today, is Charles Goldman, uh, a, a noted surgeon here in Des Moines and noted uh, NFL aficionado. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I, th- I think the, the controversy uh, is the continuing one. Which is are the Patriots cheaters? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's been settled. That's been settled. That was a silly controversy. Um, no, the the controversy that's been ongoing for ye- a number of years now it relates to um, what are the predominantly African American athletes in the league um, trying to express their concerns about inequalities and justice, in particular police brutality and outright murder. Um, of unarmed young, usually younger black men, um, through uh, in particular kneeling during the national anthem or uh, staying in the locker room. Right. And the NFL over the uh, break this year tried to come up with a policy to assuage the president to some degree and, and to probably what's a relatively high proportion of its audience that agrees with the president. Right. Uh, we know that um, about 54% of the country in general, I would suspect among the president's supporters, it's probably much higher than that, believe that um, it is disrespectful to not stand for the anthem. Right. Um, but but in where, where in this whole conversation do we actually get to the reason why these players are, are taking this stand? Again, it's not, it's not in their best interest to do so. Uh, the, the flack they get has got to be uncomfortable at some point. 
Um, but their statement is, 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 is a pointed one that deserves more conversation than we're getting. The conversation seems to settle on what, you know, how do we respect the flag and the anthem? Not about why these players are doing this, right? And you know, this unfortunately, this issue is so rife with with elements of other things. I mean, there's there's the issue of racism by the president because it 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 is generally um, African American athletes he's criticizing for this and other reasons. Right. Um, it's about the um, tax favored ownerships and the rich white men that generally own these companies. Uh, these, they are companies, these teams. Except for Green Bay. Except for Green Bay. <laughs> That's correct. Um, and their handling of their, uh, quote, employees, it's the resentment that most working class, many working class Americans have against people who are very wealthy telling them what to think, mm. um, particularly, you know, African-American athletes. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's ignoring the issues around the way this country is pleased. And as the Minneapolis police chief once said um, when I was living up there in the early 90s, he says basically the police are an army of occupation in the uh, indigent communities in in Minneapolis. The police chief said that? Mm -hmm. And he said it uh, being proud of that reality? No, he was not. No, he was saying it as a reality in, in terms of you know, there is there is the problem. I mean, it's, it's sort of like when you see these episodes where, you know, some of these episodes where uh, unarmed men and women have been shot by the police. You'll notice that it's not always the white police officers that are involved. Sure. Um, the black police officers are usually, equally callous. Usually it is. Yeah. But but, it, but right. equally callous because they've they're part of a different uh, a different group now. They're part of the police and the police feel that they're. Um, you know, in danger. One reason they're in danger is because of the proliferation of weapons in this well, country. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how folks around the state, around the country are aware of the, I don't know if you're aware of the situation in Des Moines recently. Where, yeah, with the uh, racial a, profiling. A, yeah, right. Well, a white male police officer and a, and a white female police officer stopped two, uh, two black men. Um, and and, and you, you, you listen to the conversation that was recorded, you see the video, and it's just, it is astounding the extent to which I mean the profiling was not even subtle, and the and the um, well, but, the, but that, yeah, that's a much bigger issue. I think the question is why is this still an issue with the NFL, and, and what a waste of time it is. Let's let's, so let's, how, how, let's okay. get some history about this. Colin Kaepernick, Colin Colin Kaepernick. Um, you we, know, need, we need to get a duck out of the studio. Yeah. All right, go go catch <laughs> okay. that duck. Will right. You? <laughs> yeah, Colin Kaepernick um, was the the first uh, athlete in the NFL who, who who tried to make a protest. He actually consulted with an ex NFL player who was a former Green Beret, and and they spoke for a couple of hours. And what he said, what the, the Green Beret said, was, "I would kneel because that's an act of respect. It's an act of respect to the flag. It's an act of respect yeah, as we bit, do." It's a bit confusing, right? Uh, 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 you know, he said in in the military we kneel. To honor the, the fallen and the wounded. I mean, kneeling in church is uh, the 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 height of devotion during any service or mass. Right. Um, well, I guess I guess tend not to kneel so during a mass. And what subsequently has happened, of course, is that Kaepernick has been frozen out of the league and probably is going to win a fairly large settlement from the NFL because the arbitrator in his case, the restraint of trade case. Uh, said, no, this is going to court. And I'm not sure what the NFL is going to defend themselves with because there, there is evidence of collusion to keep him out of the league. And Eric Reed, another uh, African-American uh, defensive player, probably will have the so same. So is, is, is there a way out for the is – there, is, there, is there a way for the NFL leadership to save face 
uh, and maybe actually do something positive toward the concerns being raised by African American well, players. Well, the NFL could do what it used to do. Don't play the national anthem with the teams on the field. They only started playing the national anthem with the teams on the field because of their link up uh, commercially with the U.S. Army. What year was that? Uh, I believe it was I can't say I can't say exactly, but it's been a while though. It has been a while, and yeah. and they're losing audience, and they're losing audience because people like myself are sick of the 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 association of militarism with the NFL, and. It, the whole notion, to me, of the anthem issue is, is a ridiculous issue. Are they issue. really losing audience? Oh, yeah, they are. That, that's documentable. Yeah. We don't know. How it, much? Do we know? Significantly enough that the contract that they make with the TV networks will probably not be worth as much as it is Are now. they losing more than Major League Baseball, except for, the, uh, except for a few teams some of it, like the some, Red Sox? Well, some of it is elements of, of just sports viewership is down because of people moving away from TV in general. But um, well, I mean, I'm talking about you look at some of these baseball stadiums and they are more than half empty. Right. You know, they're, they're but there are different reasons in baseball. Baseball is a slower game and, and it's a longer season. But no, I mean, I, I think the real problem here is that there's a certain mindlessness to this. The national anthem is a song. The national anthem, by the way, it, we only play the first stanza. The yeah. subsequent stanzas uh, talk about defending the uh, the wonderful <laughs> racism of slave owners in the United States. Um, so let's not forget that. Um, and I, I mean, I served 20 years in the military, you know. And if people want to protest the national anthem, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. It's free speech. Yeah. They're not protesting this notion that they're protesting the so, military. Okay, back to my question: How does the NFL? How do we get beyond this? And actually, beyond this and and, and the separate question, which we don't have time to address today, how do we get beyond this and eventually address the problem? But let's just talk about getting beyond this. Well, getting beyond this is, is, as I said, just take the anthem out of the equation here. Okay, and the NFL is likely to do that? Now, what kind of response? It depends on how much Nike sells of these sneakers. <laughs> if Nike makes a lot of money off this campaign, the NFL may have to think so, about it. So, I mean, it. what kind of response is that going to get from the crowd, from the from the, uh, the fans that don't that, that are unhappy with people kneeling during the anthem? They, they They'll be, forget they would be they would be outraged initially. And what would the U.S. Army? They would pull their sponsorship. No, they wouldn't. No, you think they still still? No, I I, I think it would be it, it, after initial tumult, everyone would forget. Okay, and so in, in order to end the conversation on a vacuous note, predictions for the Super Bowl. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I, Come I, on, I, Charles, go out on a limb. Uh, I'd say uh, Patriots Vikings with Patriots winning. Really? Yeah. Well, okay, I was going to say Patriots Packers. No. 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 Uh, the Packers are, I think, are, are a very incomplete team. Yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the bottom line is, Charles, who cares, right? Exactly. Who cares? All right. Exactly. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Ed Fallon here with you and my guest, Dr. Charles Goldman.